0: Here's what it means to be sort of captured by God's grace. And when you are, you want to do something with that. You want to exercise that grace. And so he starts off saying in in chapter 12, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. So based on God's mercies, to present yourself to God as a holy living sacrifice. So that's really what we do then. So understanding All that God has done then should cause us to want to present ourselves to God and say, God, I I want you. And when we do that, we're giving him the authority over our life, the control over our life, so that he begins to work in our life. And as he does that, then what comes from us is love, the love of Christ. Not, Not human love, not normal love, not love that we can find in anywhere other than a supernatural love, the supernatural love of God that has first come to the individual, that has changed the individual, and that love then is to be shared and in operation practically in the lives of a believer. So in chapter 13, he starts talking about loving government, how to love government, what's a believer's, right way to handle authority in the government and things like that. So very practical. And then in chapter 14, he talks about how we can get along with one another. And he, he says that we're not to dispute over doubtful things. In other words, we're not to make a big deal about something that the Bible doesn't make a big deal about. We're not to make... Uh, our hill to die on something that the Bible doesn't make a hill to die on and so last week we pointed out all the kind of different issues that Christians have that there's, there's not a scripture that says this is sin but some Christians may have a sort of a conviction about it and others don't and so how do we handle that and the the idea is that we're to Consider and be concerned about another person's convictions. That if we have liberty in a certain area, we're not to shove our liberty down somebody else's throat. And if somebody doesn't have liberty, so it's like if they if, if somebody does they have convictions about something, and maybe it's not a clear biblical issue, but they just feel very strongly in their life not to do a particular thing, then they shouldn't force that on somebody who doesn't have that conviction as well. So that the whole idea of chapter 14 was kind of summed up of the law of love. So how do we deal with one another, especially in a church family, a body of Christ? Not everybody is going to be exactly like us. And we usually think of ourselves as the point of reference and everything that's not like we think or feel about something, is wrong. So everyone's going to fall probably a little more legalistic or a little more liberal in theology than we think we have. So that's where we can have clear biblical issues. We Those are hills to die on. We call those essentials. And then there are other issues that maybe are not clear in the Bible that we can have... Um, Charity towards one another and say well if that's your conviction then that's between you and God and I'm not the Holy Spirit and so we allow God to work in people's lives but the one thing is the importance of unity and unity in the essentials and that is something that is so important to the body of Christ and to have the strength of God working through the unity of the body of Christ is how God works. So when we put all that together now, chapter 15 is really, it's not a good chapter break. It's really just an extension of what we've been talking about in chapter 14. So let's take a look at that with all of those things I just mentioned in mind. It's really, really, how do we get along with, with one another and practically how do we deal with one another you know what i just i feel like we need to just take a second and pray one more time but i want as we pray i would like to ask you to ask the holy spirit to get a hold of you fully and completely because as we read the rest of this chapter we have to have the holy spirit working in our life and and i think that's very important so let's just pray one more time Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And and again, Lord, we need your spirit, Lord. And I pray that every one of us here now, individually, right now, would just ask you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Lord. You command us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I pray now that we would ask you to give us just a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And that we would surrender all of ourselves to you now and the holy spirit would just take over fully and completely and we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, chapter 15 verse 1. He says, "We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples that word scruples means weaknesses of the weak and not to please ourselves." So strong statement right off the bat. And the question is, when you read that, do you see yourself as the strong one? Do you say, okay, I guess i got to put up with everybody now? And maybe you are. But probably there are some areas where you're the weak one too. It's probably not a full, I'm the complete strong one and everybody else is the weak one. When we think that, we're probably falling falling into sort of a, a trap to think that, we're the, we're the apex of correct doctrine. And everybody who's a shade different than me, then they're, they're all the weak ones. But the point is that there, there are people that are strong. In our particular case, the strong people are the people that have a real freedom in Christ. And they don't need a, a lot of religious things, boundaries, barriers, rules, regulations, things like that. They're completely free in Christ. And then there are others that just, they're not quite that free. And Paul gave the example in chapter 14 about eating meat. So some were free to eat meat. And the free to eat meat people were considered the strong people. And what was the deal with meat? Well, there was meat that was sacrificed to idols. And then also, so that would be more the Gentile angle, Gentile non-Jew. The Jew angle would be that they would have kosher meat. So they couldn't eat. There are certain things in Judaism that were unclean and they weren't to eat, shellfish, uh, pigs, things like that. So what's the whole meat thing? Well, Paul says, it really, it's not about meat. If you have the freedom to eat meat, eat meat because if the meat's been dedicated to an idol, has nothing it doesn't affect you at all, it means nothing. But there are people that say, I just feel really uncomfortable with that knowing that. Okay, well don't eat it then, no problem. But don't collide with each other and make a big deal about it, but have love and consideration for one another. So so he says the the strong people just it's, it's okay if, if you're going to have to have times where there are people that just have these spiritual weaknesses. And it's, if you don't have those, it's an obligation that you put up with other people's weaknesses. In verse 2, it says, Let each one please his neighbor for his good, his neighbor's good leading to edification, which, which means have a mindset of that you're concerned. You're more concerned about another person's convictions and relationship with God than you are about exercising your freedoms in a particular area. So if you have a freedom to eat steak and you're with a brother and you're at dinner and they don't have that freedom don't order a steak. Just Don't just sit there and just eat your steak and laugh at them and smile on them and say, hmm, this is so good. Just be more considerate. And just understand that well, they have a weakness and you know what, as you see them having a weakness, you probably have one too. Because we all do. So let's concern ourselves more with consideration of, of other people. So in verse 3, he gives us an example. He says, For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He's quoting from the Old Testament, Psalm sixty-nine nine. And basically in that psalm, he's talking about, it's a messianic psalm looking at Jesus. And he's saying that people's hatred for God are now falling on Jesus. So, when Jesus came, He took the hatred and the anger that people had for God, He took that because He was a... He was the Messiah come in the flesh, a representative of God. He was God in the flesh. And people's hatred for God, poured out on him. But it's the same idea of uh, a lot of people will be angry, family members, friends. There might even be hatred, volatility towards a believer. And it's because they're really angry at God and you just happen to be that representation of God to them. So their anger will be channeled you, So that's what he's saying. He's saying the reproaches that were meant for God, they fell on Christ, but he took them. That was the point. He took them. And that means that we're going to have to take the hits. Sometimes for other people that have certain weaknesses that we don't, as believers, have the liberty to force our liberties on other people. And in fact, he's saying then we should even be able to take Some hits for other people, some punishment. It 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 may be it may hurt a little bit, and Christ is an example of that. And then in verse four, he says, "For whatever things were written before, were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope." So this is amazing. He's telling us how we get through dealing with difficulties with other people, especially in the body of Christ. But this applies to really every situation. And he's saying, first of all, just be the, you might want to say, be the bigger person or be the stronger one. And don't don't force your way and just steamroll someone. And look at Christ, look at His example, look what He went through, look what He bore. Especially, then you start thinking about that in a personal way. Look what He bore for our sin, for your sin, for my sin. Look what He took for us. And then He says, well, look at Scripture all the way back in the Old Testament. So as Paul's writing this, that's pretty much all that they had. And he's saying the way that we're able to get through difficult issues with difficult people is that we look in the Scriptures. And as we look in the Scriptures, as we study the Scriptures, as we um, understand the Scriptures, what's going to happen is that through this understanding of how God works in the Bible, how God works, He works through patience and then There's this certain comfort. So what that means is, as we go through certain things in our life, difficult things, and as we're people that are in the Word, in the Scripture constantly, we will take comfort because we'll we'll see people in the Bible and we'll see themes and we'll see narratives in the Bible that are similar to the things that we're going through. That's what he's saying. He's saying those things that were written... In the Old Testament, the things that were written before, they were written there so we can learn from them. So we can see our life in them. So we can understand what's happening in our life. And so you, just, you can just take this, whole, and this is just the Old Testament. And, and that's the importance of being in the Word. Because what you'll start to think is you start to live your life for Christ as you start to be a doer of the word, like we talked about on Sunday and not a hearer only, but as you walk out the scriptures and by faith you're doing what the scriptures say, then what happens is your your life looks different than it did before, but it also looks different probably than you think it's going to look. But then you start looking in the scriptures and say, oh, that's, that it, it seems similar to what I read in the, in the scriptures. But see, if we don't know that, then we're going to be prone to making decisions that are not correct and failing to keep moving forward in our faith because we think there's something wrong when in reality you read the scriptures and it says, no, something's right. Persecution is part of it. Suffering is part of it. Spiritual warfare is part of it. But if you don't know that, if, if you don't have David in the Bible being chased by Saul, if you don't have Joseph being thrown in a pit by his brothers, if you don't have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace with Jesus in there with them, if you don't have those things, you don't like, what's going on? But then you read those and you say, oh, I know what's going on. Boy, if you read through the prophets, just pick one. Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, pick one and start reading it. Ezekiel, and you think, wow, that seems like today. You start reading that and you go, wow, this is, this is just like today. What is going on? This is, there's nothing new under the sun. So we think in our day, oh, everything is just so terrible. It's, there's a lot of terrible things that have happened in the Old Testament too. Really Terrible. But then we learn what to do in those times. We learn how to handle it. So those things were written so we can learn. But do you see why it's so important? To be grounded in the Word. When we're grounded in the Word, we're like a tree firmly planted. When we're grounded in the Word, like Jeremiah seven seventeen. Then when the, the famine comes, the heat comes, we keep flourishing. That's what's so amazing about the Word of God. So we can build up and we should build up a bank account of the Word of God. So There's something to be said about the accumulation of the Word. The accumulation of the Word in our heart. Not just... Hearing a one statement message that is going to change our life forever because the pastor says one thing and it just, and that can happen. But I think more more than that, it's the accumulation of the Word, it's the storehouse of the Word of God that we're filled with the Word. Sometimes I go to those really great coffee shops, those espresso places. You want to know my? Should I tell you my favorite? Does anybody care now? Okay, I won't tell you. So anyway, so if you get a latte at Novel Coffee Shop, I didn't say it was my favorite, but if you went there, which is really really good, but if you go there, say you get a latte and they put it on the counter. Have you guys ever done that? It has a little heart on it on the top and all that. It's amazing because it's higher than the rim of the cup. But it, it's it just because it's uh, the consistency of it, you can carry it really carefully and it'll stay in there. But one false move and it's going to spill out. You have to be so precise. That's why they, a lot of times they give you a little tray or something or a dish to carry it on. But see, this is, this is how we should be filled with the word. So when we're filled with the word like that, you know what happens? What happens when you're carrying that little coffee cup? The coffee with the little heart thing on top, shaped thing, it's actually higher than the rim of the cup when you're carrying it. If someone bumps into you a little bit, you know what's going to happen? It's going to what? Spill over. But what spills over? Coffee, latte, whatever you have in there. But see, when you accumulate the word... In your heart, and you get a little bumped by somebody, perturbed by somebody, you know what overflows? The Word of God. The living water. The torrents of living water. That's why it's so important to be filled with the Word. Because when you're filled with the Word, you're not as sensitive to little things. You're not as agitated. You're not as irritated. You're filled with the Word. So you could get bumped and shaken and you can trip and fall and the the word's going to come out like lattes it's just going to be spilling over so I, i think that's something that's really missing in the way church is viewed in our day and age i think a lot of times people they'll go and they hope there's that one zinger that one line and the pastor's going to say it, and they think, "My whole life's going to be changed by that one little zinger." And I hope I get a zinger tonight, but it's the accumulation of the word." And you say, "Well, how do you know that? The Psalm one says, "Blessed is the man who meditates on it day and night." You know what that means? He's the one that's like a tree, meditating on it day and night. That means it's just we're constantly thinking about absorbed with the Word of God. Who does God keep in perfect peace? You know that scripture? The one whose mind is stayed on Him or fixed on Him. And so that's how we do it. It's just the continual accumulation of the Word of God in our heart and our mind. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, I wrote you these things before... And, and now you can look at those things and you can learn. And what you're going to learn is that there's patience and comfort that's given by God in the word, in the scriptures. And what do you see the last word it says on there? What does that bring? It brings hope. Hope is confidence. Hope, is, hope here is confidence. Hope is the confidence, the assurity that God is working in our life. When we go through trials, we'll have a tendency to think God abandoned us. Then when we look in the word, we say, no, he hasn't abandoned us. This is how he works. This is exactly the plan. So in verse five, he says, now, may the God of patience. What an interesting phrase for God, the God of patience. Are you guys glad God is patient with you? Man, I'm glad he's patient with me. So patient. He's the God of patience. So that's like a a term of God. And then He's the God of comfort. So may that God of patience and God of comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. What He's saying is that the comfort that we get from God and the patience that we get from God that gives us confidence and hope should establish us, settle us. So we're not so sensitive, not so explosive, not so worried, not so fearful. We're not walking like that. When we're walking like that, we're just like a ticking time bomb. We're like any little thing. We just can get so upset and so perturbed. And when he's saying just... Be so filled with God and let Him settle you. Philippians 4 says, Let His gentleness be known to all. It means that the ability that God has to settle us. Things like knowing that all things work together for good. Knowing what God has done through the nation of Israel, through all their rejections and ups and downs, seeing how patient God has been with them. Knowing the the figures, good... uh, thing to do is read through hebrews chapter 11 tonight and see all those different people in the hall of faith and just how patient god was with them so verse 6 it says that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify god and father of our lord jesus christ so that's the goal of all this right so this is sort of where this plane lands This plane is landing on the purpose of everything that was just said. And and the purpose is that there would be a unity within the body to glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what it all comes down to. It comes down to prioritizing glorifying God. So we can say, is this action that I'm doing, is it glorifying God? And that can be sort of something that we set as a barometer for how we do things. Is this this glorifying God? And we need the Holy Spirit to do all this. James says, Wisdom from above is first pure, meaning doesn't have any other agendas, just wants to glorify God. It's pure, it's peaceable, willing to yield full of mercy and good fruit. And that opposes wisdom from below or wisdom from the devil, which has more to do with envy and strife and pushing one's way to have more of their way above another person's way. So very good. So verse 7, it says, Therefore, receive one another... Just as Christ received us to the glory of God. Receive other people. So how did Christ receive us? He received us as an enemy. He didn't receive us as amazing, deserving people. So what he's saying is we were received by Christ because of His mercy. So that means now we can have the same attitude receiving other people and their weaknesses and their quirks and their shortcomings that we can receive them. And that word receive, you remember I talked about it last week, it's pros lombano. Lambano. Pros lombano means to receive toward. So that means there's a, it's not passive, it's It's active. You're you're receiving people in. Just like Christ received you and you're receiving them in. So he says in verse 8, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision, that's the Jews, for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might Glorify God for His mercy as it is written. So he's explaining what Jesus did was a fulfillment of what the Old Testament said. And what he's going to say is it had to do with him reaching not just Jews, but the Gentiles also, the non-Jews. That was a point of contention in the early church, wasn't it? The Jews had a hard time thinking that non-Jews could be accepted too. This is why Paul took a lot of heat and ended up in a lot of problems on his missionary tours because he'd go to the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues and towns first, and he'd preach Christ, and he'd talk about how Christ was for the Jew and the Gentile, and many got really upset for that. He's, now he's saying and pointing to where the Old Testament pointed those things out about the Gentile. So... He says in verse 9, for this reason, this is a quote from 2 Samuel 22:50, for this reason I will confess to you among, or confess you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And then in verse 10, quoting from Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And in verse 11, it says, and again. So what is he doing? It is written, it is written, it is written. Bam, bam, bam. Master swordsman taking out the sword of the Spirit. Foom, foom, foom. It is written. He's, you think he's filled with the Word of God? Think he's a latte filled above the brim and he's walking around and his stuff's just spilling out all over everybody? It's the Word. It's written, it's written, it's written. You think he's accumulated scriptures so that he can deal those scriptures out at the appropriate time skillfully? Do you think the Old Testament is important? Or is Old Testament null and void? Look at this. This is incredible. The Old Testament is vital. The Old Testament is being brought forth by Paul as a testimony to the truth of what he is saying. He is going back to the Word and showing and demonstrating. So in verse 11, it says, he's quoting from Psalm 117, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you peoples. And verse 12, again, now Isaiah says, so he's quoting from all different parts of the Old Testament. Isaiah says, that's Isaiah eleven ten. There shall be a root of Jesse and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. So the root of Jesse, Jesse was David's dad. So basically saying there's going to be an offspring of David that's going to come, and that's the Messiah. So the, the Messiah would be from the genealogy of David, and it says, in him the Gentiles shall hope. So then in verse 13, he sort of wraps this up, and he says, now... May the God of hope, so we've already seen He's the God of patience, He's the God of comfort, now He's the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you, think about lattes, with how much joy? Some joy, a little joy, all joy, all joy, and peace in believing. That's the key. That's walking by faith. Believing, he's saying, fills us with joy and peace. Believing, that's the key. That you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 14, Now I myself am confident concerning you, speaking to the church in Rome, I'm confident my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and you're able to admonish one another. So he, he's been through the whole book of Romans admonishing them. And then he's writing and says, I know you can do that. You can do that with each other. You can and what he's what he's saying is that's something that is necessary. Admonishing means warning or correcting. so He's saying there's a place for that because we all can get caught up. We all don't know everything we need to do and how to do it. So he's saying there's a place for that. But watch this. In verse 15 he says, But nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points reminding you because of the grace given to me by God he's saying I know you can do it yourself but I can't help it because that's what God's called me to do he's called me to teach and admonish and preach and, and he, he's saying you can do that but that's what he's called me to do so I'm going to keep doing it and it may be repetitive so some, sometimes you may think man it's just repetitive But there's nothing wrong with repetitive. Even Peter says, I I just call these things to remembrance. And the point is that we're constantly being brought to the awareness of the things of God. And that suggests that we need that. It's amazing. I, I think I'm getting to the age where I think I've forgotten more than I know. And that's why I'm glad I'm remembering these things and i need to be reminded constantly but don't ever don't ever get that the thing if if you're hearing it again somewhere someplace here or somewhere else it's because you need to hear it you need to hear it again and the moment that you have mastered something forever then you don't need to hear it anymore but until that point you're gonna need to hear it so that's what he's saying he's saying hey i get it you guys can talk to each other and do it yourself but I've been called to do that. The grace of God has has called me and I'm going to do it. And he spent a lot of letter doing that. So he says in verse 15 about that reminding. He said, I'm going to do that. Verse 16, he says, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and and indeed, to make the Gentiles obedient in many signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit of God or the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about to Elykium I have fully preached the gospel and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, quoting again from Isaiah 52.15 here, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand, saying, my ministry, this is what Paul is saying, my particular ministry is to go to places... Or they've never heard the gospel. And he's saying, that's my calling. My calling is not to build where the gospel has been planted and laid and then build on that. He said, my calling is to go. And he was confident and sure of his calling and it was to go into the utter parts of the earth to take as far as he could the gospel where it's completely foreign to people. And so in verse 23 he says, for this reason... I also have been much hindered from coming to you, speaking to the Romans, I want to come to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you whenever I journey to Spain. So that's where he wanted to eventually go. I shall come to you for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a little while. In other words, he was hoping to stop by Rome on his way to Spain. But Verse 25, But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia, to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who were in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. So what's happening there? So in Jerusalem, that's where the first church started. That's where Jesus was put on the cross. That's where Jesus rose again from the dead. first church started there. And they had been going through some hard times. There was a famine there. And so what Paul was saying, he's saying that I've taken a collection, material collection, money, to bring back to you. And that collection of money was from non-Jews, from Gentiles. And he's going to bring it back to help the church in Jerusalem, to help the where the main, they're mainly Jews in that church. But here's something that in verse 27 at the end, he's saying that it's their duty, the Gentiles' duty is to also minister to them, the Jews, in material things. And he's saying that because they received from the Jews really their faith. So it was through the Jews the Messiah came. It was through the Jews the understanding of of the things that Jesus fulfilled came. It was through the Jews the law came, the Ten Commandments. It was through the Jews that uh, the Word of God came. It was through the Jews that their understanding of spiritual things came. So... What they're saying is, and what Paul is saying is they felt obligated to help them materially. And I find that interesting because that's part of why we find it so important to go to Israel as a church. A big part of that is we're supporting them materially. We're helping them when we go on these trips, we're helping their economy, and just as the scripture says, there there is an obligation to help the nation of Israel. And it doesn't matter about the politics of Israel or if Israel as a nation is walking with the Lord or anything like that. The point is that God will bless those who bless them and curse them that curse them, Genesis 12, 3. And the point is that were to view Israel and the Jews as a people where what we believe has all came from. So we should honor that. We should put respect and credit on how God has used the Jewish people. So that's a big incentive for us and a big reason, one of the reasons that we go to Israel. So Paul is saying that I want to get back to Jerusalem because I want to bring this money, but if you remember in the book of Acts, that's where he got into a lot of problems and... They had to run him out of Jerusalem because he was going to be killed there by a riot. And they took him down to Caesarea Maritime by the ocean to protect him. And then from there, he asked to declare his case before Caesar. And that's how he ended up getting to Rome. But he did it as a a prisoner. So in verse 30, it says, Now I beg you, brethren... Through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. That's what he was asking for. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. And that, that means that there are those in Judea who are unpersuadable. So they, just, they would not be persuaded. And, and he knew that's where, the, that's where they killed Christ. That's where they killed Stephen. That's where all the hostility was centered there. And he is going back there. So he's asking, please pray for me. And that uh, his service may be acceptable to the saints. Verse 32, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Sounds like he's done, but he's not. This is like George may attest. Sometimes if you're flying a plane and you go to land and you get some wind and it's not going to be good for a landing, what do you do, George? Go back, go around. This is what Paul Paul keeps doing. That he's landing and he's wait wait I forgot something I gotta say, so that's where we're gonna finish verse six, uh, chapter sixteen real quick. So grace to you, Amen. Oh, I commend you. So now he wants to talk about some other people. He said I commend you to Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in. Centuria, which is a neighboring city of Corinth. He says about this Phoebe that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many And of myself also. So, Phoebe, her name means bright and radiant. And this Phoebe, it's it's interesting because it calls her a servant, which is the word that we get for deacon. And all it means is that she was such a faithful servant in helping Paul, she was actually the one that took this letter to Rome. She was the letter deliverer. Now imagine how much confidence Paul had to have in her to take this letter to Rome. Imagine how faithful he would have seen her to be. Imagine the confidence to take this letter and how important that was to Paul that they get this letter and he give it to Phoebe to do it. And in the early church it was amazing that the women were amazing in the early church. They were servants. They would serve the early church. They would take care of those in prison, take care of the poor, take care of the sick, take care of strangers. That was a lot of what their ministry entailed. And part of their ministry also, the women were to teach the other women, to instruct them in the things of the Lord. So it shows that there's huge confidence in the faithfulness of Phoebe. And then he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. So they was a, this was a married couple. Now, as we read down through this just just notice the things that are being commended by each of these people or couple or groups. That that's what's important. So for Phoebe it was her faithfulness and she was a servant. Priscilla and Aquila in verse 3, they were his fellow workers in Christ Jesus it says that they risk their own necks for Paul's life to whom not only I give thanks but also all the churches of the Gentiles likewise greet the church that is in their house they had a home church which were all the churches were home churches at this point greet my beloved, the Panatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. So this particular person was someone who was the first one to get saved in this particular area. And then it says, greet Mary, who labored much for us. So it's interesting when we think about Paul, a lot of times we just think about Paul. What we're finding out is the Apostle Paul had an army of dedicated servants behind him. In other words, Paul could not have done this on his own. And we have these people mentioned here, but no doubt there are hundreds of other people that are not mentioned that these people represent. So I find this amazing that as we read about what Paul did in the book of Acts and then read his letters. And we just know that it takes so many people, dedicated people, to function in the way that God has called them to function in their giftedness to bring forth the things of God. That's what we're seeing here. And then he says in verse 7 Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners so these people were in prison with Paul who are of note among the apostles who are also in Christ before me greet amplius my beloved in the lord greet urbanus or urbanus our fellow worker in christ and stachus my beloved now Those two names are very interesting to pair together because Urbanus, just like you might think of the urban city, his name means bred in the city, like born in the city and from the city. And uh, and I just want to just put it out there. I know I'm not pronouncing any of these names right, so I know that. So just putting that out there. If you really want to know how they're pronounced, go to Blue Letter Bible and you try to pronounce them. (laughs) Try it. I did that. I tried and I decided I'm just going to do my thing. So, but this other person, Stachius, means ear of corn. So you have this, I I don't know if this was on purpose, but you have like somebody from... Nebraska, and somebody from LA, and they're serving together. Someone born in the city, living in the city, and someone from the fields of corn. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting. So verse ten: Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristo. Eulysses it's possible this is interesting it's possible Herod the one who killed all the Jewish babies when Jesus the time around the time Jesus was born had a grandson named this It's possible we don't know for sure that that could have been his grandson uh, verse 11 greet Herodian, my countrymen, greet those who are of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenia and Trifosa, which I love their names. These are two females. Their names mean delicate and dainty. And watch this. Delicate and dainty women, look what they do. They labored in the Lord. That means they worked hard for the Lord, strained for the Lord. And I just love that picture of these dainty, delicate women just serving the Lord to the point of exhaustion where they had nothing else to give. And they were noted for that. He said, greet their, uh, greet the beloved Persis. Who labored much in the Lord. You see the things that are being commended? Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Rufus, most likely, was the son of Simon the Cyrene who carried the cross when Jesus was being crucified and was unable to carry the cross. And the Roman soldiers pulled this random, quote-unquote, random man in to carry the cross for him. This man, Simon the Cyrene, was in town for the Passover feast and was carrying the cross of Jesus. And it is uh, most likely Rufus because Mark chapter 15, 21 says that uh, Simon the Cyrene had a son named Rufus. So then... Greet Asinicritus Phlegian, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. So these guys are all like a group. They're probably like a Bible study group. They're all looked at one group like, hey, there's, that's the boys right there. Greet all those guys. Verse 15, greet Phileo Logos. And Julia, Phileo Logos. You know what that means? The love of the Logos. Phileo, love, Logos, word. So this guy loved the word. And Julia, it says, Nerus and his sister and Olympus, Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. So, holy kiss, that. You know how some people in different cultures will kiss on the cheek type of thing and things like that? That's all it is. So don't, you don't go around kissing each other and think that the Bible's telling you to do that. So then you think, oh, the plane's landing, but wait a second, not landing yet, coming back around. Right, George? Coming back around. Now I urge you, brethren... Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. So it's now he lists all those names and he's commending them and he's saying, look, the Lord is working. The Lord is using you. But you have to know this. You have to be those who have discernment and you're able to mark, to note those. There's going to be people that come in and they're going to cause problems. They're going to cause divisions. And you're supposed to note them. You're supposed to realize and recognize, look, this person that's coming in, they're causing problems. They're going around gossiping about everybody. They're coming against the things that are happening in the church, they're not handling things biblically. And he's basically saying that is the obligation of the church to note, he says, to note those. To say, look, and it's good to, if, if you see some egregious thing, to confront that and say, look, that's not good. That's not healthy. That's not what the Lord wants us to do. And if it's a continual pattern, you need to note that. And mark them because division. Remember, he's talking so much about unity. Division is a huge problem, and it's a weapon used by Satan, because a house divided cannot what stand. So he he tries he goes he goes for the families. He'll go for the parents. He'll try to cause divorces. He'll go for the kids. He'll try to get the kids against the parents, and the parents against the kids. He's relentless. And that's why it's imperative that we actually work on unity, that we prioritize unity, because it goes beyond us, right? Because disunity affects glorifying God. It affects the image of God, the knowledge of God. So we have to fight against that. We have to be proactive, and that's what he's saying. He's saying especially, and if uh, these offenses that are contrary to doctrine which you learned and what does he say to do what's the answer what do you do with these people avoid them you don't hang around don't don't feel obligated to listen to gossip and listen to false doctrine and listen to a continual rejection of the things of god because satan plants people in churches to divide people you know the parable of the the, the farmer where the tares were planted in the middle of the night. And you couldn't tell the difference until they're ready for harvest. So just be careful of that and note that. We don't want Satan to ruin what the Lord is doing here. Verse 18, For those who are such, they do not serve the Lord, Jesus Christ, but their own belly. In other words, they're selfish. They're selfish. They're doing everything for themselves. They have a selfish, self-centered agenda. And it says, By smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple, of those who are just unaware and sort of naive to things like that. But do you see what's, being, what's used? Usually these people have a certain way about them that they're very likable. And part of their likability is that they're good at complimenting you. And they make you feel good. And that's a way to sort of like a Venus flytrap. You know Venus flytraps. They kind of make things look real appealing. The fly kind of goes into it. And then, bye-bye fly. But see, this is how he's describing this. Smooth speech and flattering. They speak really good and they're really clever and they're able to flatter you and make you feel really good. And once you sort of start to fall into that trap, then your discernment can go down. And then they start saying things that make you kind of go, oh, that's kind of weird. Mm. But you kind of ignore it and it just keeps going on and on. This is what Paul's warning about. Verse 19, for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, Amen. So we're done, right? No, fly around again. One more fly around. This, one more fly around. So then he says, more people. Timothy, I can read that one pretty good. My fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my countrymen, we greet you. This is an interesting one in verse 22. I, Tertius... Who wrote this epistle? Greet you in the Lord. So what's going on there? Well, Paul had eye problems. He dictated this letter to Tertius. But I think it's hilarious that Tertius gets himself in there too. I Tertius, who wrote this epistle, I greet you in the Lord. I love that. He just gets him in there. I'm in there too now. And then he says, uh, Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother, there's a whole thing about Erastus. I talked about it before. I don't have time to do that right now. But uh, if you look up the Erastus stone, it was discovered in Corinth. Those of us who went to Israel recently We also went to Greece. We saw this stone. And it was uncovered in 1929 by the American Archaeological School. And it substantiated and gave credit to scriptures where this one person was being discredited by the higher critics of the day in the 1800s because his name means sexy, and it seemed very unusual for a person that was the treasurer of the richest city on earth at the time, and the treasurer had to be the richest person of the richest city at the time. Why? Because treasurers of the city had to do things for the city in order to get the position. And one of the reasons they wanted a very wealthy Um, person is to one it showed that they are personally able to take care of the finances and then two made them less likely to steal so they he was he was like the Bill Gates of our time but he had a a name that didn't match up an unsophisticated name and so higher critics would say see there's no way the Bible could be true because look what Paul said That's, that's ridiculous and then they find that stone and on that stone it said, um, I'm, I'm, I can't remember exactly what it said, but something to the effect of uh, Erastus, treasurer of the city, dedicates this uh, walkway to the city of Corinth. And that's exactly what a treasurer would do. They would, uh, after they were done in their, in their office, they'd go back to the cities and dedicate and buy structures for the city as a way to show their appreciation for the city. Anyway, give, gives credit to the scriptures and discredits those who come against it and then he says "Cordus's brother verse 24 the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all amen is he done not done verse 25 now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation "...of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest." It's basically talking about the whole letter of Christ and the church and all these things that was in, in the Old Testament were not understood. A mystery is not something that can't be understood. It's just something that was revealed at a particular time. And he's saying that, that mystery has been revealed in Christ Christ. So he says in verse 26, but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for the obedience of the faith. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. He's really done this time. So. Lord, thank you for this evening, and my brothers and sisters, thank you for this journey through the book of Romans. I trust that our spiritual bank accounts have been filled up, and the word of God has been written on our hearts and our minds, and we treasure these things, and we ask, Lord, that you would bring these things to remembrance, these things that are in our heart when appropriate, all for the purpose that we may glorify you in our time, in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we made it through the book of Romans. Huge accomplishment. God bless you guys, and Lord willing, we will see you on Sunday.